0: Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the S. Craig Zoller film which is Bone Tomahawk, starring Kurt Russell. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diegman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 173 of Film Tank. I am the aforementioned Alex Diegman, along with the aforementioned Nick Cheney and Tucson Egan. When were
1: either one of us aforementioned? <laughs> during the intro.
0: Where to
2: fall oh. were we mentioned? Oh, oh you mean oh. like during
1: the intro we play over every episode? Yes. Gotcha. Ah, yeah. That nice. makes sense cuz we as hosts do not hear that every week unless
0: yeah. you listen to the episodes. Got it. Yeah. Makes sense now. You're That's just it. being consistent and I'm just being an idiot. It's great because you and I have had the same amount of adult beverages and yet I have an idea of what's going on and you apparently do not. By adult beverages, do you mean uh beverages that can both A
1: vote and B be tried for adult crimes?
0: I don't know. Where uh, you're they going can with
2: be this. used as accessories to either both of those. Um Who the fuck are you? Uh I'm Tucson Egan.
1: <laughs> Welcome to the show.
2: I'm the <laughs> aforementioned Tucson Egan motherfucker. Did you
1: just say Afro mentioned?
2: Wow.
1: Like back when you were in high school. What's oh up? yeah. What's up, true. Soul System?
2: Yeah, that's true. I did have an Afro back in high school. We are definitely Sh- not sure talking did.
0: about Spike Lee on this episode. Yeah. yeah. So nah. Let's take away the Afro talk for a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Just for a little bit. Are uh, you sure? Because there's only one black person that I recall in this film we're talking about today, mm. and he did not last long. Two. There were two. There were two. There was one at the bar. On the bar. Remember? Oh, he's the assistant. Because I made a joke
1: about how he would be the last black person <laughs> after the first one.
2: Got yeah, murdered. it's true. I mean, it's a joke, but it's also true. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Well, that's kind of you know my humor in a nutshell. It's it's biting reality. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great. The film we are talking about today is the film from not too long ago, 2015.
1: Well, it felt like it was back in the 1800s.
0: Shut the fuck up. He's rolling. Can't stop him. Uh, Bone Tomahawk is the film that we will be talking about on this episode. The film that was directed by S. Craig Zoller, who has uh, done three films now. Uh, including brawl in Sublock ninety nine from last year, which uh, you probably heard that on our best of two thousand seventeen episode, as and Nick talked about it, we covered it. We did it in the whole
1: episode. Did we really do? An you episode and I. On it? it was okay. during Tucson's absence, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, you and I did an episode because I randomly you gave me the authority and I chose that as an episode, mostly because I knew that was going to be either my number one or number two. So. Mm.
0: And it y- was your number two? two? yes. Okay. What was your number one last year?
1: Last year... What was last year? 2017?
0: Yeah. I don't remember.
1: <laughs> I, 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 that's probably a bad sign for whatever it was. <laughs> I just don't... The problem is I don't remember what comes out in what year. Because, might have,
2: yeah. Might have been Get Out. No.
1: Because no. Um, things come out and it's like technically they have a date of whatever, but then I classify it as a quote-unquote... 20s 2017
0: uh, 2016 no. that was a flat circle dude I'm gonna look this up though because... I don't think this was that I think this no, was no film number that firmly came out no no oh. I'm, I'm talking about your number one film I believe it was a film that was firmly in 2006 was it
1: camera person or was that no number or was that 2016 yes. no it wasn't either
0: that wasn't it. I don't
1: know. I'm gonna look it up though. At I'm, any rate, I'm
0: curious. I can't remember what
2: my top films of 2017 were. Well, well they all is, got three stars. So. This
0: <laughs> this is a really good podcast. Let me I tell think you, so. this is fantastic. This is three people just stumbling all over well, each other. Fuck you. We're
2: watch, we watched we watched this movie pretty late, and we're recording. So oh, I'm, yeah. I'm not at my on my peak right now. It's on a Friday night, and it's been oh wow.
1: My number one with three billboards. Okay. Yeah. Which I forgot because I just didn't think of myself as putting that as, like, my number one. Which is not to say that I disagree with that, but I forgot about that.
2: But it's
0: pretty bold. It's been on HBO here in the rotation for the last month or so, and I uh, watched about 20 minutes of it about a week or two ago. And? And I'm... I'm interested in watching it again. It was in my top like 15 from last year, it's, but I didn't love it. it mm.
1: It's one of those films where, you know, it completely worked for me, and mm-hmm. I hate defending it in public mm. because of whatever the fuck you think about it. It's whatever.: I don't The
0: care. reading of Woody Harrelson's suicide note in his voice is wonderful.: Pretty great.
1: It is. I'd watch a whole movie of him reading letters. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. would it be like Patterson only with him. Uh,
1: not quite, Hmm. because Patterson, well, yeah, not quite. Okay. But
0: that's a great movie. Jim Jarmusch is a different film director. Sure is. That's to get pictures, ain't you? Oh. So, in addition to Bone Tomahawk, S. Craig Zoller has also directed Brawl in Sublock 99, and a film that has come out this year called Dragged Across Concrete. Which uh, stars, believe it or not, Mel Gibson. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Playing an amazingly named character, Brett Ridgeman. <laughs> That's Brett awesome. Ridgeman. That's awesome. That's a great name. Also, Don Johnson makes an appearance in that film, Ooh. so I'm already interested.
1: I mean, I'm going to watch it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, for anyone out there who doesn't know anything about Bone Tomahawk, and you really should if you want to listen to our episode... The film centers around the dying days of the Old West, as an elderly sheriff and his posse, that's a pejorative, set out to rescue their town's doctor from a cannibalistic group of cave dwellers. That is a pejorative.
1: (laughs) It's interesting that the IMDB, that's IMDB, right? Mm -hmm. The IMDB uh, summary would call her the town's doctor.
0: That's what I thought when we first started watching it.
1: But here's the thing I don't think that it's necessarily wrong. It's just only correct in a very hilariously.
0: Convoluted sense.
1: Yeah. Like, it's the fact that the she can't actual be, doctor. She can't is... be the doctor because
0: yeah. she's a female.
1: Well, exactly. But She's we, the nurse. And it's actually much like the mayor in this movie. Oh, yeah. Who, there's a man who is not at all taken seriously, and then there's the wife, who is the actual person that's running things. Talk so, to my husband. Yeah. So, I actually, in this case, I'm not shitting on IMDb. I think that's actually kind of a funny, uh, I wouldn't say misreading, but a funny, I don't know. Um,
2: Technicality. Yes. Semantic uh, yeah.
1: wording of it. Mm. So, anyway. Okay, I'm done.
2: Okay, very I'm, good. I'm leaving. Yep, that's it. See that's you all later. you got.
0: Okay, bye. So this film actually has quite the cast for being a uh, first entry for a director, I'll say, uh, including Kurt Russell, the main character who plays Sheriff Hunt. Also appearing here are Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox, who uh, really hasn't done much in mainstream since Lost. Nope. Yep. And uh, Richard Jenkins plays the other main character. Of the uh, assistant deputy, who clearly <laughs> is not a real police officer. Yeah. Also here are the uh, wife of Patrick Wilson's character. Her name was Samantha in the film, and her name in real life is Lily Simmons. Mm. And also, we have a couple other uh, appearances by some character actors, including David Arquette (laughs) and Catherine Morris, who some people might remember from Cold Case. Mm -hmm. Also, she was a minor character in Minority Report, Mm -hmm. she plays Kurt Russell's wife in this film. And also, uh, this is a really random poll, but it's right here for you. So, James Tolkien uh, (laughs) is in this film playing the passed-out drunk pianist, and anybody... Yeah, that was good. Anybody in the entire world
2: would remember him as the principal from Back to the Future. No McFly has ever done anything of, of importance here in Hill Valley. You're a
0: slacker, <laughs> just like your father.
2: Well, that's going to change.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh. I don't think so. Also, think uh, still a slacker. David Arquette's yeah, uh, buddy.
1: <laughs> Um, played by Sid Haig, or Haig, however you pronounce it. Oh, uh, from the Rob Zombie films? The c- famous uh, Captain Spaulding character. Yeah. And the guy who tends bar at that saloon uh, is, I, I never fr- remember his name, but he's been in so many things. He's a character actor who's, I think, most, maybe not most famously, but definitely recognizably from the Coen brothers, uh, A Serious Man. Oh! Because he's always playing a very... Um, serious man <clears throat> no i was gonna say jewish person
2: ah
0: so was the mayor yeah he was definitely jewish certainly nice short lawyer looking person yeah
2: with a pleasant affect barely mm-hmm. alive
0: no well then
1: that's not by accident excuse me you should address my husband not me
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Look okay you say what in a man's voice that was great <laughs> You well, should trust my husband, not me. Excuse me. <laughs> sound like elf. <laughs> <Jesus> Christ.
2: <laughs> All right.
0: Yeah. So, uh this film kind of randomly popped up in our collection of films we do on this podcast. I wanted to watch something spooky. You did? I think
1: it kinda was. It oh, it's, into that. It's, it's
0: definitely spooky. But at the same time, I've been wanting to watch this film uh really for the last maybe like six months or so. Because I've always known about it, and I've always been interested, and at the same time, I've heard you, Nick, and uh, our friend Kenny talk about this recently, so we were looking for something to do this week, because... In reality, there's not that much out in the
2: theater right now that we haven't talked about already. Nah. When there's a conversion of tastes between Nick and Kenny, I know I'm in for something special. So I'm really. Yeah, I'm I really was very... fucking. I remember I was really down for seeing this movie.
1: I am. Yeah. puzzling puzzlingly surprised by Kenny's kind words that he said about this movie.
0: Yep. And for the most part, I am down for New Age Westerns because the idea of the classic Western is basically dormant in this current time period, yeah. and Westerns are almost always paired up with a different genre, yeah. and this one is really
2: not an exception. Westerns, yeah. by their nature, are myths that are created in order to basically assert um, American hegemony. So it's nice to uh, have... i being uh, kind of a downer right now. To yeah, have, can we turn off that microphone? <laughs> um, New Age uh, Westerns that sort of, like, peek at sort of the barbarism of that time,
0: well, and actually, like... No. In my opinion, New Age oh, Westerns sorry. have taken the baton from something like The Unforgiven, where they have branched off into other genres. That
1: was probably the last hey, hey. great,
0: like, what I would say,
1: classical Western. And even that movie, in and of itself, is technically a rebuke of Westerns uh-huh. in general, but yeah. it doesn't add anything that
0: you wouldn't see. In a Western. Right, yeah, that's fair. But at the same time, it branches off into other avenues where something like a film, if you would see like something like Anything Made by John Wayne, mm-hmm. uh, is much more of a classic. That is the True. prototype yeah. of the Western and It's you know. it, it's, okay. it's what, um, what's his name's, what to do I'm so seriously, uh, a character from the Coen Brothers film. Uh, is playing, who played Han Solo. Yeah. Oh, Aldenard right. Yes, yeah. he's yeah. playing a very huh, silly cowboy yeah. in a really ridiculous Western. And that's what most people think of when they think of Westerns from the 1940s. Sure. that Time period. Sure. But
1: Even uh, though there are good Westerns in between that. Yeah, definitely. That. Yeah.
0: yeah. But yeah, a lot of westerns that have come up now are either spaghetti westerns from someone like Quentin Tarantino, true, true. or you have stuff like Slow West, which is not necessarily a true western. And or more, yeah.
1: even so, uh, as far as highly praised modern westerns, the remakes like True Grit and uh, Three Ten Yuma, mm. which I think are two more widely talked about westerns than the last. Decade or so. Slow West uh, yeah. sounds
2: like a genre of, like, a subgenre of Western films. Like, shoegaze is a subgenre of, like, some other music. You don't
0: remember watching that, do you?
2: What Slow West? <laughs> yeah. I remember watching Slow West. Okay. Yeah, it had um, what's his name? Who played David in uh, oh, Mac- Michael Fassbender? Michael Fassbender. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed that.
0: As Michael Fassbender,
2: and that. it also has one of Nick's favorite actors, Ben
0: Mendelsohn. Yeah, the ben showdown at the end
2: in the uh, the little cabin. I was That's like, that was a fabulous. Yeah, it
0: was. Now. Yeah, I remember it. It was yeah. dope. Yeah, I rewatched that again recently. It's a good movie. Yeah. 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 Anyways, this film, uh, something that Nick. Has always, somewhat enjoyed, although you seem to definitely just be a fan of S. Craig Zoller in general. So far, yes. Mm-hmm. So, that being said, and usually we go to you, Nick, because you see way more films than anyone who could possibly be on this podcast. Uh, why don't you start us off, as I think you'll probably have the most insight into Bone Tomahawk.
1: Well, thank you. Um, my name is Nick. Uh,
0: hi,
2: Nick.
1: Hi.
0: Welcome to A. Thank
1: you so The much. aforementioned
2: Nick. Thank as you. we're fucking drinking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So cheers. That's how we do. Uh, yeah, I. this is only the second time I've seen this film. The first time I saw it, I watched it. Uh, I blind bought it because I was just kind of, from, from what I heard about it, it seemed at least passable in my head as far as it was kind of a Western meets something slightly horror with ultraviolence and i'm like mm-hmm. okay you know what fine like there's no way i'm gonna probably dislike it and i ended up getting something that i liked a lot more than i thought it would to be truthful um and so this is the second time i watched it and i like it even more the, than the first time i nice. think this film is so wonderful because of two things um, on the one hand, it's trying to be, uh, at least by the third act or so, uh, it's I would say lovingly introducing uh, very horrific <laughs> characters and uh, set pieces that very much kind of uh, uh, invade and then rot from the inside of the western genre. Mm-hmm. You know, and we we watch so many westerns. Uh, I'm not saying literally, but when you watch. Westerns from, you know, a certain time period. There's a lot of, um, shall we say, white uh, perspective on uh, indigenous people and whatnot. Yep. And I won't say that this movie somehow circumvents that, but... I will say this movie is cognizant of that, and what I think it kind of does is it splits the difference between trying to have its cake and eat it too, and frankly, I think it got full on the cake, and I'm okay with that. Because on the one hand, uh, yes, it's one character, so it's not necessarily forgiving, but it's something. Uh, It literally has a character that gets to come in who plays a Native American who basically explains that the villains of this movie may be uh indigenous people but are not (laughs) native americans and the the people you think are quote unquote you know taking over the land and savages and whatnot um and what i think saves this film in that realm is that by the time we truly meet these characters these no matter how much they may resemble uh Native Americans in a very caricature way—they're uh, still fucking otherworldly. That they don't quite uh, stand in for anything other than pure that's, savagery.
2: Yeah, it's it's fucking insane. Even I- explaining how they're able to like do their whole like yeah. chant call—it's yeah. still fucking. How the fuck did they do that? Like uh-huh. that's. It's it's
1: even cutting it out and trying to blow into it does right. not work. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's just crazy.
1: Yeah. Um, and then the other half of this film, besides that kind of horrific uh violence and uh brutality on display, is in my opinion just a really good uh character work uh between most of the main cast here, the the four people between uh kurt russell patrick wilson even oh. um matthew fox and uh, richard jenkins mm-hmm. their little road trip it's funny because that's the meat of the film
3: mm-hmm.
1: and yet also that's probably the best part of the film for me i yeah. would agree yeah mm-hmm. their interactions with each other and their constant back and forth It's it's very weird because it takes the masculinity of the old wild west and i wouldn't say it deconstructs it mostly because i'm fucking tired of hearing that word in general for any genre that things don't have to necessarily deconstruct anything for it to be just novel it can just be itself yeah but it has these four characters exist alongside each other And they very, very, ever so slightly break down the tropes that they are. Even Matthew Fox, who's a pompous asshole, you know, um, cowboy. All of the above. Yeah. But please
2: describe him in the film. (laughs) Um, He has
1: a glorious mustache in this. He sure does. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But even him gets a pretty... fantastic final moment that pretty much it's funny how all he needs is that final moment to basically sell his character uh you know
0: posthumously so to speak um and yeah he's a side character that gets a leonardo DiCaprio final moment from blood diamond but he works yeah
1: or it works i should say he he works it um and, and and all four characters here have arcs but what what I care more about than the arcs themselves are just the way that they posture in front of the other three, and and all four of them are just killing it here. Richard Jenkins as the quote-unquote backup deputy uh, is, for me, even if Matthew Vox maybe is a scene-stealer, I think Richard Jenkins here is maybe my favorite part of the movie. He's doing so good work here that uh, I feel like he's the heart and soul of this movie. Um, and the way people treat him is such a it. It kind of reminds me why people used to love westerns, which is that for such a lawless uh, genre of filmmaking and time period, if you're gonna try to inflate that with, <laughs> they
2: tried to have some some regard for basic human dignity.
1: Exactly. And Richard Jenkins has no shortage of that, nor do the people that basically deal with him. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely love his art, especially the fact that he survives throughout the whole movie, which I think is actually pretty telling, because if he died, um, I feel like there would have been no real dignity in that. He would have just been at whatever.
2: It's an indictment of dignity.
1: Yes. And so I I absolutely love him in this movie. And then...
2: That also led to...
0: um, Even though on the outset, it's a little bit of a corny line... But at the same time, uh, one of the better uh, send-off lines I can recall from recent film history, which was when Kurt Russell is basically dying and sending them off and saying, please say goodbye to my wife and I'll say hello to yours. And passed that's, away. that's a fucking line. I man. mean, that is yeah. just like a walk-off Grand Slam right there. And yeah. I
1: think mostly Kurt Russell sells it. Like He does, on but, paper, but, but it
0: works because of their previous relationship together, too.
1: Absolutely. And one thing I love about the Richard Jenkins character early on in the film is that um there's a great uh moment when he first shows up when he um shows up at the sheriff's office, and <laughs> basically the sheriff is feeding him because he clearly can't take care of himself mm-hmm. and he tells a story about how he was either late or something I can't remember, but that day he went out to see the grave of his wife or whatever, and he kind of like waits a beat to see if the sheriff will respond, but he Kurt Russell's character just does And I, you know, the first time I watched it, I remember thinking that was like rude because he was just trying to whatever. But then, just watching it the second time and seeing the entire film, we find out that just before he goes uh, on this uh, adventure with the three of them, mm-hmm. he goes and visits his wife, and then you get the idea that this is actually a daily thing, Yeah. so it's less that Kurt Russell was trying to, you know, not acknowledge him, but just, Sort of
2: like observing it in silence. Yeah,
1: and just kind of saying this is a daily routine thing, and yeah. it's not as, to, to Kurt at least, it's not as special as it is for him, and right. it just makes that character all the more tragic and yet uh, perfunctory, so... Right. Um, But yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I just love the way that this basically takes a Western film uh, in a very slow pace, but then pretty much ramps up the uh, visceral action in the last half hour uh, to a very, very uh, wonderful degree for Hmm. for myself.
2: Mm. I'll go next. I fucking love this movie. Yeah. I did not. I did not know what I was getting into. Three out of five when I um, when I started it, um, but just just because I deliberately decided to like eschew like learning anything about it. I only yeah. knew it from its name, and I thought I was going to be like. Uh... If I was gonna be something keen to like cannibal Holocaust or something like yeah, that shit, yeah, yeah. just because like I asked for something spooky and you you brought this up and I'm like, okay, what am I in for <laughs> and I am very much down for what I got because this is just a a beautifully deliberate just well composed the the cinematography for this film is is gorgeous the shot composition for this is gorgeous the 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 cast for this is so robust like I caught myself thinking, holy shit. This guy's here this person's here what the fuck are these people doing here and the what what I loved about the film in general I basically spotted from that first encounter between Kurt Russell and um, Richard Jenkins Richard Jenkins when they're in the, uh, the the sheriff's office and basically him like feeding him and like having that sort of discourse and like I just really enjoyed how deliberate and how naturally paced that was. And that's how I felt about the entire movie. This is like a master course in pacing and just allowing your actors to chew the scene and really deliver their lines and really just inhabit their roles.
1: How about something like what you're saying? Yeah. uh, Kurt Russell, when he goes to first tell Patrick Wilson's character that uh, his wife has been abducted Mm -hmm. and after uh, Mr. O'Dwyer has charged off. Right, like, uh, Kurt Russell's character goes and goes past him to shut the door. Right, you know, like and grab
0: his shoes.
2: Yeah, too. And grab yeah. his shoes mm-hmm. as well. And yeah, because he's like, not thinking. No, yeah.
1: and those are moments where the scene always goes on longer than a normal scene that you would expect. Right, but there's always a purpose to it. Yeah,
2: it's it's just so it's so fascinating to me. To have those sort of quiet moments that show how these characters have a regard for one another in not so much a way that it's like, oh, like this is going to circle back and be important like later on. It's like it's not for – these scenes are not created deliberately in service of any plot but rather of the characters and just showing that they actually give a shit about one another. No,
0: this is a film that is – very interested in revealing character detail throughout and not plot detail. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I like, what What was his name again? Um, the guy in the, the white suit, the dandy Matthew Fox. The, yeah. Matthew Fox.
1: Bruder. I think was his mm-hmm. name. Yeah. He's a, I,
2: I love this character just because he's such a fucking asshole and how he felt the need while they were setting up camp and they were setting up a, a defense perimeter to brag about how how many women have invited him over for dessert and like we had like this whole thing well, that about was after he was
3: called out
1: after
2: he was fucking called out when he was just like yeah I was like you're not married because no one will want to be with you It's was like i think a lot of women have actually asked me for dessert so it was like fuck you dude like really this is what we're what you're talking about with like the whole like almost buddy the the most buddy cop road trip sort of scenario in that it paces out every single, like, archetype of, like, male, like, performative masculinity there is there. There's always got to be that one fucking guy who's got to brag about, like, how much he gets it, and nobody gives a fuck, man. Nobody gives a fuck.
0: The thing I liked about Matthew Fox's character of Broder or Brooder or whatever it was is that he, like, uncomfortably reminded me of a very off-putting comedian who i actually really like named anthony jeselnik uh that he had a very cold and matter of fact yes and slow if you like me no and just a very slow delivery but at the same time like he was just hitting all of the unfortunate notes that somebody like Louis C.K. would hit. Yeah. So I was just like,
2: fuck. This guy got that deadpan sort of. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Him and
1: telling Patrick Wilson, or Mr. O'Dwyer, I'll try not to flirt with your wife when we
0: reach the camp. <laughs> and, then, like, and then he, he he doubles down on it a little bit after he gets punched in the yeah. face. I'm saying, out you know, of here was...
2: trying to save her and you. I think that owes me no. at least an innuendo. No, <laughs> I was, it was like, it was, fuck you. It
0: was before that when, after he punches him and fucks up his leg even worse, uh, when Matthew Fox says something to the tune of, I tortured your wife and she denied me, as if that makes this situation any better. Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's like, No, 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 you don't understand. I tried to fuck her.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. This is such an awesome movie. I love it. Um, I'm looking forward to watching it again. Um, but I'm going to pass off from my initial thoughts to Alex. Yeah. Uh, in addition to
0: you guys, I also thought this film was absolutely delightful. Um, I will say there was one scene early on that caught my eye that actually kind of tipped me off a little bit, that this was going to have some horror elements to it. Mm -hmm. And I love this scene and it was very minor. Um, but I thought it was, uh, one of the best cinemagraphic decisions I've seen in a while. And, I throw those kind of things around all the time, but at the same time, uh, I feel like it really is warranted in this particular instance, because when Patrick Wilson is reading his letter that he wrote to his wife, that she insists is a poem, and he does not believe it is, uh, she has left, and he does not know at this time that she is going to be captured. Mm-hmm. But he is about to go to bed, and he's reading this poem or letter, however you want to read that.
2: It's not a poem.
0: Uh, Well, he says that, and he also is kind of weird about it. At any rate, um, the film and the filmmaker takes a very interesting move and does a wide shot at that point, which made me feel like I was waiting for somebody to walk in and murder Patrick Wilson. And it's a very deliberate and bizarre choice in an early part of a film that didn't really have much of that until the very end. Uh, And I love the tone it set, because it made me feel on edge. Early in a film, in a spot that did not need it, but created it just because. Well, in that scene alone, he,
1: after his wife leads... Uh, leaves, especially is that he 's basically he has the position of a wounded animal mm-hmm. you know he 's literally in the sheriff that, has come in and yeah talked and to so he 's yeah. by himself and will be for the rest of the night and he 's uh quote unquote <laughs> elevating his leg uncomfortably and will not be leaving that position uh, whatsoever so uh even though I think that 's kind of present throughout the whole film, I, I agree with you in the sense that like that 's probably one of the most. Especially reading the letter, that's the most vulnerable he is. Absolutely, the, the, whole thing.
2: the fucking sound design in this film when he has to get his fucking leg reset. Yeah, with the hammer. Mm. Yeah,
0: there is great sound design in uh, his film from last year, Brawl in Soul Block ninety nine. Yeah, Some as well. That. It it's a uh, it's a different film than this. Oh I'm sure. Say, but at the same time, sound uh, like the raid. You'll uh, a little bit, but not necessarily. Okay. Um, I think you'll be entertained by it if you see it. Sure. I would say, it,
1: if you like this, I don't see I fucking
2: love this. I want to see more of this guy's films. Yeah. the next one. No.
1: I could see you liking yeah. this more, and I can see someone liking it. I like this more than Which I can understand. 99. And I pretty much like, I would say, Cell Block more, but I also pretty much give it up to this movie as being slightly better with the script and cinematography, which I know is almost laughable, because then it's like, what else would I like, but... I mostly just like the stru- yeah. structure of Cell Block 99.
0: Well, that's a, that also features some really nice acting performances. Vince Vaughn, Jennifer Carpenter... Don Johnson. Don Johnson so playing the warden. Yep. Anyway. He's perfectly cast. Mm-hmm. Anyways, listen to our episode on that if you want to hear more on Cell Block 99. Do it. But uh, for the remainder of this film, this film uh, really gets sold by its performances. Um, if If the second act of this film was not as good as it was i don't think that the final act which is a departure from the rest of the film would Mm be nearly as good as it is um you have very good performances by actors who come from actually vastly different backgrounds which is actually fascinating to me i mean matthew fox is somebody who made his career uh being a popular character on a television show? Not to mention a popular character who's a daddy's boy,
1: whiny little fuck. So the <laughs> idea that like he went for, And he's the main star of that show. Mm-hmm. But the idea that he went from Jack, who's probably one of the most annoying lead characters in a great TV series ever, to this character who's like... Uh, yeah, he might be annoying, but he's annoying in a in a much, much different and uh, confrontational way.
0: But you have somebody like him, and Matthew Fox is a somewhat difficult actor to deal with because he could give a really good performance, and he could be a bad actor yeah. at the same time. Same goes for Patrick Wilson, yeah. who has been great in films where he's not giving a great performance, Um, And I think that actually would probably be the same thing here for me, is that he was perfectly cast for the role he's playing. Yes,
1: I would
3: agree.
0: And then you have people like Richard Jenkins, who's just a wonderful actor, and Kurt Russell, who also, um, even if he's had silly roles that he's picked over the years, uh, if you cast him in something where he has to try, he's going to give you a fantastic performance.
1: Can I just say, this and The Hateful Eight came out within like less than a year of each other, Mm -hmm. and... I pretty much only want Kurt Russell to do Westerns
3: from now on.
1: <laughs> Not because he can't do anything else, but right. like but, I, f- I feel like, oh, we, we only have so much time left. We only have so I much time left. need at least three or four more Westerns. Right, yeah. he's so good at it.
0: Yeah. No one really in this time period can wear that mustache beard combo like Kurt Russell can. Yeah. He's pulling that shit off. Shit. Um, and this
2: film... They broke the mold when they make him. Eh,
0: yeah. somewhat true. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, the tension that builds during the second act of this film is wonderful. Um, and you have some excellent banter between the four main characters. Uh, and then when you get to the final part of this film, as we've hit on a little bit already, uh, it is mystical, I would say, uh, in the interaction that they have with the Indians, as they are referred to throughout this film. And they have another name, which I'm blanking on right now. Troglodytes? Yep. Uh, and it is um an interesting take, and also too, uh, especially in this climate that we currently live on, uh, it is very interesting the fear of of a group like that. The other, yep. And in this case, it's warranted, but that doesn't mean that people are bad. No, these people are not great people. Right. At but the very it,
1: least, know. Zoller does go out of his way to basically say that. I am not succumbing to the exact same, uh, shall we say, faults of Westerns of yesterday, right. which is to just depict quote-unquote Native Americans as the savage beast, but I'm saying that if I have to, shall we say, work in the sandbox of reality mm-hmm. of a Western, which is not to say that this is realistic, but in as to what they know and they see, uh, I I, I'm basically I'm all for the decisions made here to b- paint if anything, it's kind of a interesting commentary on I would say the indigenous people treatment because he both separates uh, shall we say, the the real human beings of the conflict between yes. cowboys and Indians yep. but also acknowledges that the the white man also sees them as basically monsters who have no explanations. What, I,
2: what to quote the chieftain from Pocahontas? These white men are dangerous, and you know what? what I agree. Yep.
0: Nope. Yep. White people don't have a great history.
2: Yep. They okay. voted for
0: our president. <laughs> Unfortunately, so did a lot of black people. Yeah, I know. But... Yeah, thanks, Kanye. Yeah. So, um. I will say, though, uh, one thing I do really like about uh, this final part of the film, and then we can move to a more discussion part of this episode. But um, when sort of the aura of the uh, Native American tribe that is after them gets ripped away, literally... Uh, that's a fascinating part of this film for me, because at the end of the day, these people who seem like actual monsters, uh, just perform this weird surgical procedure to make themselves make that crazy noise, and at the end of the day, yeah, they are strong people who have, uh, a lot of experience with murdering people.
2: And surgery, apparently, for putting all those fucking bones in their face. Yeah! Uh,
0: but they're just people at the end of the day, and these people are just bad savages who um uh, and, and and this film really does a nice job you already mentioned nick that it does a nice job of separating that a little bit and also just creating this this different culture throughout um but this film also shows that these aren't what you would consider to be american indians these are true bad i mean i made the comment that The leader reminded me of the guy from Mad Max. Like, these are not great people. They have blinded and forcibly taken down the women that they use to reproduce. Like, they are a bad group of people. How about
1: that one, uh, what do you call it?
0: Not even seen, but just that one prop
1: of of a woman who's pregnant. That's what I'm talking about, though. That
0: is horrifying. Like she's had sticks pelted into her eyes mm. so she can no longer see I mean it, it like, but also
1: just the weirdly elasticated fat of not yeah. like her belly, but just of her body where it just seems like she's job of the hut and they've told her to like stay put. Yeah. I'm not even making a fat joke. I'm no, saying no, no, like no, the saying. body mutilation of yeah. of their own kind mm. is fucked up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And like uh, like
2: tenderizing the meat.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah and it uh it just leaves some there for you to think about, and you know what that's what you're looking for in a good movie, so I was a huge fan of this, just as you guys are, so um, I'm glad we took the time to watch it, yeah, uh, so we talked already as uh as separate hosts about uh the four characters, but i I do think it's something that we should all just you know continue to chat on for a couple minutes at least because i think it is those four characters that make this film but there is never a point where it seems like it gets gratuitous like the characters are all there and we learn different parts about their personalities throughout but at the same time it feels so authentic from start to finish Especially with their main part of the story, which goes from probably like minute thirty five till minute one forty. Mm. Uh, and it's just wonderful. I mean, the way that their story moves throughout, um, it makes Matthew Fox seem like somebody that at least I was like, Oh, I'm bummed that he's going to die. Yeah. Right. And he's an asshole. Yeah. Um, and it makes Richard Jenkins <laughs> Even- character feel like somebody you want to live throughout the end and uh, it feels horrible when he and Kurt Russell have that final meeting, and Kurt Russell is basically bawling his eyes out as he's dying in a cave. And mm-hmm. not only that, but as far as uh, Richard
1: Jenkins' character, it what bumps me out about watching that scene between the two of them is that once Kurt Russell passes away, which I think is what they're both kind of realizing, is kind mm-hmm. of what value does Richard Jenkins' character have to that town because. Uh, the sheriff was really throwing him a bone there as far as calling him a backup deputy and feeding him, you know, by night and Mm -hmm. just actually taking him under his wing. And uh, the humanity displayed there will not be displayed by every person. Right. Especially
0: not that shit-ass mayor. (laughs) No, I don't Mm. think so. Or his wife. Yeah.
1: But I do think, I do find the ending slightly hopeful uh, as far as not to... Bring it off topic, but just because I'm talking about him, uh, the fact that it the three of them, the uh, the two O'Dwyers, the Patrick Wilson and his wife, uh, played by Lily Simmons, and uh, Richard Jenkins' character, and for me, the fact that it's the three of them that survive, I actually find that slightly hopeful, especially with um, Richard Jenkins throwing a rock to mark the path, even though there's no one coming. Right for them like there's something about that that I actually kind of find
2: pretty beautiful remember about. that we were here remember that yeah. this happened remember that we the, survived and that's the and
0: ending th- image of this film too exactly. which is uh, after they've potentially heard Kurt Russell firing a gun to mm-hmm. kill the remaining I was gonna yeah. say it's or, ambiguous we don't know mm-hmm. if it's
1: as as far as if it's a, a gunshot towards the enemy or a gunshot He shot
0: multiple shots though towards himself. yeah yeah but it's shown that they know how to use guns yeah right right, yeah. right, yeah. yeah
2: um what was i going to say i think that this film isn't even though it's not explicitly constructed this way i don't think that's what the intention was i very much think of this film as a journey of discovery not only of who these abductors are and what is it that they want and what is their nature but not even of just the West itself, which I also believe that it's also part of that, but also in under- uncovering these characters and their dynamic with one another and how it is done in a way that doesn't feel – um, it doesn't feel deliberate. It doesn't feel orchestrated. It feels very natural, and I enjoyed that about this film. It's just a really good like character study just unspooling these characters in a way that doesn't feel like they're necessarily meant to be played off of one another. I don't think that any one is the foil of another, but rather these are just sort of like men who are inhabiting their time and are just on a on a journey that might just be um, fruitless and, and hopeless, but they're still like going after it, especially with the – um, with the husband who was just like limping along was just I I thought that he was he was done for I thought he was just gonna die and and, and I'm I'm I really enjoyed how this film was able to invert my expectations just based off of not just casting you even but also – thought
1: that Richard Jenkins was gonna die which yeah. I think is yeah. totally fair I mean, yeah it's pretty much especially because he even makes comments in the beginning as far as right. like oh when I get back I'm gonna yeah you know, he keeps so, on saying that like he's yeah. like
2: you you think that that's gonna be that's that's the film literally telegraphing and like, yeah, this guy's not going to be able to get home. Like, oh, he's just one more day away from retirement. that's that, that kind of guy. But what breaks my heart just thinking about it now is like how the sheriff, his last scene with his wife, was his wife telling him not to go and him just chopping up the the cheese and stuff and saying, he's like, I have to do it. I got to do it. We'll have no but, more words and, about this. And no more words about this. And then, like. I
0: hope you come back. and
2: Yeah, I know. And, and, and nope. it, it's just. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like uh, you know, like you know how she's gonna react to that. She's gonna be heartbroken. She's gonna be sobbing. But I think, like deep down, she's gonna know that her husband was a good man and did what he needed to do, and just and like fulfilled his
0: duty too. Right. At the same time, yeah, I mean, and and obviously, that although territory her question
1: is, is pretty apropos as far as uh, she... how do you know they even alive? No, I was gonna say, you know, you only have your limits are only so far as to. Uh, I, I would say, as to the town itself. like, yep. Why go above and beyond? To if, protect somebody from e- the town. Exactly. Because like, like, they are the town. Yeah. Which I totally get. But I also think that's a fair question for a loved one to Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Especially in that time period. Holy fuck. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I absolutely love the conversation between Richard Jenkins and Kurt Russell when they're talking about reading in the bathtub. <laughs> because um that is a simpleton uh yep. talking to somebody who's just trying to go to sleep yep. uh and he's giving him a very simple answer and richard jenkins believes he's seen jesus true uh, right and- <laughs> But Kurt Russell is not making fun of him. No, he's not. I know. That's but what's But that's what makes that scene so wonderful yeah. is that he's just kind of like, well, maybe you just get a music stand. He, <gasps> I mean, he's taking him seriously. And,
2: but at He's treating them with respect, with dignity.
0: But at the same time, uh, it is just amazing that Richard Jenkins is like a happy child. Oh, yeah. uh, that he's just... Fascinated, uh, and that would have been an ending image to see him sitting in a bathtub reading a book <laughs> off of a yeah. But at the same time, uh, just drops I love another one. <laughs> I love that scene just because that's just another one of the multiple scenes that we have that are similar to that throughout mm-hmm. this, uh, and it is just wonderfully placed in this film.
1: Yeah. Um, one thing I really like about the the Patrick Wilson character uh, of O'Dwyer is that in his crusade to save his wife i never really felt it was like a uh damsel in distress thing so much as a couple that's my wife yeah exactly yeah. it was a it was a couple uh uh and that was his other half and so why wouldn't he sacrifice anything including his own leg if he had to which he obviously was fighting the whole way um but by the time he you know gets there it's not so much that he is like the quote-unquote best candidate to rescue her it's just that he's in the right place at the right time um that he's able to actually infiltrate that because if he had showed up with them he would have been just as thrown behind bars as the rest of them whatnot
2: potentially would have been
0: cut in half like that other guy
1: yeah probably oh
2: my god i wish you had not have said anything about how, how of, of about your friend, his reaction to this <laughs> film, because we might have been like in store with, for another like Rocky situation with me just like curled up on because the couch. You were, you were prepared a little bit. I was prepared a little bit. To now. be
0: fair,
1: I will say, you were prepared for it, yeah. so, you know, like, whatever, that's yeah. on me. But also, that scene escalates in a way that I don't think anyone truly expects, until the moment it starts. It was that's-
2: just a couple of moments after you said something that shit really began to pop off, I'm like, whoa, whoa!
0: And, and uh, again, we always suggest you should see the film before listening to
2: most of episodes. <laughs> yes, please, you gotta do that. But,
0: at the same time, uh, just to refresh anybody's memory if they haven't seen this film in a while... <laughs> Uh, the deputy uh gets scalped. Deputy which, Nick, which is yeah, it's a good name. Uh, which is bad enough as he's sitting there with his brain exposed. Oh shit! It's not over. But then he gets his scalp pretty much hammered into his mouth. Yeah, which, is great, which like? you think, oh god, this guy has suffered. Oh, yeah, you're nice. like, oh no, that's he's dead. Nope. Yep, we're not done. But then his gooch uh gets. Hammered into, and then he is pretty much ripped totally in half. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. And Welcome he's... to Jackass. Dude. <laughs> so I
0: told uh, both of these uh, fine young
2: men
1: uh, oh, aside. That's nice here, of you to say. I'm I was mostly talking about Tucson. Oh, thanks, man. Um, but no but I told them that this was the first movie in forever where I felt like I was like 12 years old and watching Saw again mm. because it was the first time violence in a movie had actually the first time I watched it at least, yeah. like A surprised me and B actually shook you. yeah shook yeah. me in a way where I was like oh I didn't realize that that was an acceptable image <laughs> like, <laughs> i'm okay that i saw it but
2: Uh, but, wow okay okay
0: in the context of the film too it does actually come out of nowhere yeah like it it really is just them
2: with a bone tomahawk
0: (laughs) yeah yep them shooting at the american indians them firing arrows back and and whatever uh but that scene really does just happen and his body is seriously fucking ripped in half and it, it is sure is it is what you would assume that I, that would look like and yes. that is woo
1: Yeah, I gotta say uh, S. Craig Zower. It's not like anything in I would say Brawl and Cell Block ninety nine is as bad, I would say, no. as that. But I will say even a movie like no. Brawl and Cell Block ninety nine Man does this guy know how to do violence. Like he's for a very specific audience, so if you're not into it, I totally understand. But uh I can think of at least one thing that actually considering I had only seen this movie maybe one and a half year prior, uh, I there's a scene in Cell Block that I basically cringed at in a way where somebody's jaw left their body. Uh that I was just completely disgusted by. So, I can't wait to see what Elsie does.
3: Yep.
2: Wanna wrap it up? Okay.
0: <laughs> uh so going to ratings. I will go first. I guess. Okay. I thought this film was wonderful. Oh yeah. Um, this had a clear start, middle, and ending. Um, not that most films don't, but at the same time, no film does. No. This is the only one. No. That also is not true. But at the same time, uh, in this modern era we live in, structure is played with throughout. Uh, usually, even though most films have some kind of a, you know... Co- uh, I don't want to say coherence, but that's the wrong term. But they they... They stick to a 3X structure for the most part.
1: And I will say, as to what you're saying, mm-hmm. is that I also think that most modern Westerns try to do something so obnoxiously, uh, not incoherent, but like free flowing, uh, because they're trying to be quote unquote revisionist Westerns, that it's refreshing that even though this film has a very disgusting side of it that it also sticks to a very plain and straight
0: arc. Yeah, and uh going off of that, this film has a very clear three act structure uh and it works to this film's benefit 100% I think. Uh wonderful performance, wonderful cinematography and um just very good filmmaking here in Bone Tomahawk, and that's why I give this film a four out of five, Mm. as I I think this is a uh, very well-made film by a director who um, might have come along at the wrong time, in all honesty, but uh, in saying that, I'm happy he's here, because I have at least enjoyed his first two films, even though I like this one more than Brawl and Cell Block 99. Um, This is the kind of filmmaker, uh, if you want to I mean, I would apples to apples wouldn't, but I would compare what he's doing to something like Euros Lanthemus. Is that he's mm. making films that are um, subverting expectations mm, okay. uh, for the genre that they are inhabiting, yeah. and I very much enjoy what he is doing. So, four out of five for me for Bone Tomahawk.
2: I like this film. I think you'll be surprised about how much I like this film. Ooh.
0: Uh-oh. No way. I really like this film. It ain't film. gonna happen. Uh-oh. Not Not up in here. No, not in here. Okay. okay. But,
2: but I really like this film. Okay. So my score for Bone Tomahawk is a four and a half out of five. Yeah. <sighs> he almost went there. I almost went there. That
1: was further than I thought he was gonna go to. Yeah, I, I agree. He, yeah. He,
2: but he sold it.
0: Really and, well at the beginning, yeah, yeah. I thought he was going to go there.
2: No, all I don't. The I way. don't. I don't go. I know. I told you. I told you. My rule is, but the fact that I'm willing to go as far as I did, yeah. on I a think first speaks, viewing too. on a first yeah. viewing speaks to my enjoyment of this film, and You're I'm a looking f- and I'm looking forward to like going back to it and seeing how it improves over time because I feel like this is the sort, sort of film of yeah, it does, and I'm <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing this and also seeing his other films because this was. This was fucking dope. I, I came in here with no expectations and was utterly blown away. Holy shit. What a great movie. Four and a half out of five. God damn. i got nothing left to say. All right. Hell yeah. Well done. Stamp of approval. Oh, boy. Wow.
1: I give this four out of five, Mm -hmm. and this is the second time I've seen it, and I honestly kind of see a window of opportunity for it to go as high as a four and a half, because uh, I've only seen it twice, and each time I've seen it, I've liked it more, and Mm -hmm. every time I think about it, I like it more, but no, I think this is just a fantastic uh, modern Western that uh, in my opinion, uh, introduces a lot of great horror elements in the third act. I It's not so much that I would uh, necessarily say that the that the definition of that third act is horror, but I think that what makes this movie kind of special is that after we're treated to such a wonderfully incisive character study, we still have more surprises <laughs> left in store, which is a extremely brutal and terrifying uh, final battle. You know, it's one thing for most uh, Westerns, whether it's a modern or a classic, to rest your laurels on a quote-unquote final shootout. It's another thing to rest it on something that is so uh, nihilistic, that is terrifying and violent, and so beyond the scope of what most of the characters from this time period would ever be equipped to handle and yet some of them do and that's ultimately what I kind of find that I love about this movie is that I said it earlier that it's kind of hopeful it's um by the end of it it's not so much that the good guys won so therefore you know justice prevails but that not all is lost even in the bleakest scenarios and Uh, That's what we get here. And fuck,
2: if that isn't a message that we need right now, (laughs) I don't know what is. True.
1: Uh, So yeah, uh, all four main uh, central performances are fantastic in this movie. Uh, The dialogue in this movie is amazing. I pretty much... uh, God, the first 40 minutes of this movie, and I like everything that happened after it, but when they're in pretty much Bright Hope uh, and they're just kind of uh, going back and forth in the bar or in the sheriff's office, uh, I would watch an entire movie of that, let alone what we get, and um, it kind of reminded me of uh, Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller, where it's just a very, um, I-, I wouldn't say improv Western, but just a kind of, fun and melancholy uh uh i don't know minutiae western
0: Hmm. i was just gonna say uh the scene where kurt russell is discussing the current goings-on with uh david arquette is wonderful just because david arquette believes he's playing this uh very normal kind of character as he's trying to get away with whatever he's trying to get away with Mm mm-hmm and at the same time, he's basically wearing the tells on his forehead oh, like yeah. somebody in Rounders. <laughs> um, and it is it is wonderful. And yep. then at the end, uh, he gets called out on his bullshit and runs away and uh, basically gets shot and ruined.
1: And, yeah. you know, specifically about David Arquette, which I actually think is pretty well casted in this movie.
0: <laughs> he fits in for the limited time period he's in this film
1: absolutely and for him to uh so now that you've seen the whole film basically if you didn't already catch it but what he does is after his friend was killed by those indigenous people he assumes his identity named buddy and i love uh kurt russell's line about well you're not very friendly for a guy named buddy yeah um so anyway this is a a fantastic film it uh, it perfectly resurrects a genre that I wouldn't say is stale by any means, but certainly is slightly uh, one-sided and kind of uh, monotonous uh, for any fan of the genre, and injects it with a just down-and-out, uh, disgusting subgenre that totally pervades it and gives it new life that... Even if this film was lacking, uh, still makes it different from most of others of its ilk. So uh I give Bone Tomahawk four out of five and personally even if I like Brawl and Cell Block ninety nine a little bit better, I could basically kind of understand why anyone would prefer this one because it's slightly better. It's just that the other one he made is slightly more up my alley. Yep. So
0: Right on. Good times. Anyone out there who has any thoughts on Bone Tomahawk can always send them to us at Film Tank Show. Swing them our way. Or swing them our way. That works swing too. Swing away, Meryl. Oh, nice signs reference. Right before Walking Phoenix made a transition into his current form. Show sure did. <laughs> so, coming up on our next episode, we are going to try something different because the three of us are going to be here, but we are also going to have two guests. How uh, will we do it? the audience will just have to find out. How and, will we do it? At the same time, they also have to find out who the two guests are, and I will only say that both guests have previously been on episodes of Film Tank.
2: Can you guess who? What's the mystery? Okay,
0: Toussaint and Nick? Toussaint. Oh, yes. is it? What? Is,
1: is it, it?
2: Is it you?
0: Am I? Those are both good guesses. Wait. Yeah. Both of those two people are we will allowed be on that episode. We did addition- it! In addition... Uh, to the oh, guests, okay. I know we didn't do it. This is way outside the box. We're on far this episode here, <laughs> yeah. On this episode, where we will have five hosts for the first time ever in the history of this illustrious podcast, we will be talking about the film based on Freddie Mercury and the band Queen, entitled Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. uh, which has gotten mixed to poor reviews on the early uh, opinions but at the same time uh, is an intriguing story and a film that appears to have uh, some very grandstanding moments uh, for better or for worse. So we will be discussing that coming up on our next episode. From Nick Cheney to Son Egan and myself, Alex Diekman, we thank you very much for joining us here on Film Tank we'll be catching up with you again next time let's get some white cake oh. No. Oh, you son, son of me. a bitch <laughs>